Well, good morning, friends. My name is Pastor Milo. It's so good to have you here with us this morning. If you're here in the room or if you're watching online, thanks so much for being with us. I was away last week, so it's just really good to be back with you. And, and uh, Pastor Jonathan Budmer was here last week. If you were with us, Pastor Jonathan is part of planting a church called Fieldstone Church in Clarence, New York. And so last week I was there. Uh, I was there uh, virtually preaching on their Facebook page uh, in that regards. But I just decided to do that uh, from Clarence Hollow myself, to sit there, to be uh, in the community, to be praying for what God is doing in that community. And I was just really blessed by being there and just being encouraged by what God is beginning to do there. Uh, and I hope that you were encouraged by Jonathan being here as well and just realizing as he uh, opened the Bible last week uh, in this same uh, passage of, of Scripture that we're in right now of Acts chapter 9 and being able to talk to us about the fear that Saul is dealing with and going fearlessly into the synagogues and preaching God's Word. And so in many ways, uh, there's going to be a level of that as well as we talk about planting a church in Clarence and, and fearlessly going out uh, where the gospel needs to go. And so uh, if you didn't catch it last week, we want to make sure that you have that opportunity to kind of join in, is that this coming week, one week from today, next Sunday, there will be a prayer walk in Clarence that we would love for as many of you who are willing to join us in that uh, to be there next Sunday morning, 1030 on Sunday morning uh, at the Clarence Town Park is where the gathering will begin and then walk down uh, into the hollow and pray for different buildings, different locations there. And so if you're here with us this morning in our 9 o'clock service, that means you'll be able to join us next week at 9 o'clock. You'll get in your cars and you'll be right on time uh, for the 1030 gathering out there to be uh, prayer walking in Clarence. We'd love for you to be a part of that uh, for Fieldstone Church next Week. Would you get out your Bibles this morning? Open your Bibles. Acts chapter 9. We're continuing the sermon series today uh, called The Movement. Uh, this is the eighth week in this particular segment of the sermon series, but we began all the way back Easter Sunday in opening the book of Acts. So I'll be in the New International Version today. We're in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to begin uh, in verse 32 today. Since I was with you last time, I got a haircut. Uh, some of you noticed that. Some of you are commenting on that. Some of you have been wondering all spring, how come I haven't got a haircut sooner? You were really wondering, pushing, asking me, what is the deal with your hair? Why are you walking around like a hippie from the 60s? And what is going on with your head? So the reality is, is I got out of the Marine Corps about 15 years ago, and I had had a haircut that was high and tight every single day of my life. And so every once in a while, it's kind of nice to grow your hair out. Uh, the reality is I've only done that twice in the last 15 years. I'm actually much more comfortable uh, with a short haircut, particularly in the summertime. Now, those of you who served in the military, particularly the Marine Corps, uh, every single Friday morning for us in our unit, we had to have a fresh haircut every Friday morning. So that meant uh, that every single week you had to go to the barber shop and pay exactly the same amount as I'm paying right now to get a haircut, but you're doing it every single week. Those guys are making money. Can you imagine uh, how little hair they're actually cutting in about three or four minutes and they're making the same amount of money as the guy who had to deal with the mop that was on my head a few days ago. Uh, the other thing about getting a Marine Corps haircut is they actually have vacuum cleaners attached to the clippers. I don't know if you've seen this before, uh, but as soon as they run the clippers through your hair, it sucks it all up so there's no mess on the floor. There's no wild vegetation growing on the floor like there was when I got my haircut uh, this week, and it just all vacuums it up. They slap you on the back, send you out the door, and ask for the $20 bill for what they've done. And so that was something that 
uh, I did for a number of years, and so it just feels good to kind of have a fresh haircut. My kids love to kind of rub their hands on the back of my head to feel that kind of uh, whatever that feeling is. It's just a fantastic feeling when you have a fresh uh, haircut. That really wasn't the point of my sermon this morning, and uh, we got to move on. I learned a few other simple things from the Marine Corps that I still continue on uh, in life uh, today. Uh, simple things that, that you, you never think about, but I always wear a belt. Never go out in public, and particularly if you have belt loops, never go out in public without a belt. Uh, it's an important thing. You never know uh, who might see you, who you might run into. You always need to have a belt. And if you're me, who likes to pick things out of the trash when you're on your bicycle, sometimes it comes in handy. You can take off your belt and strap said thing to the back of your bicycle uh, with the belt if necessary. So you're always prepared for that. And for those of you who don't know, the Marine Corps motto is Semper Paratus, which means always prepared, right? It's also a Navy motto as well. The other thing that we dealt with in the Marine Corps is that you need to stay hydrated. You need to drink water. You need to drink more water than you can ever imagine. You need to drink somewhere between a gallon to two gallons of water every single day. And you do that constantly and you're always ready for that. My kids are over here laughing at me because that is something I still do. Every morning I have a 32 ounce bottle that I drink with them before breakfast. I ask all of them, have you drank your water today? And they all say no and then I drink my water instead. And so I drink one of those every morning and then I drink one of those every evening and I drink usually one of them throughout the day. But again, in true Marine Corps fashion, when you finish drinking the water to prove to everybody that you've drank the water, you take your canteen or your water bottle and you hold it over your head to make sure that everybody knows that you've drank the entire amount. And when in boot camp you do that, the guys who didn't drink water are pretty easily uh, noticed when uh, they've got water running down their whole body. That's not the point of my sermon this morning either. But sometimes it's the simple things in life that make the biggest impact. Right now we are in the middle, as all of you know, as the world knows, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. And there are a lot of complicated things, complicated decisions that are being made. But sometimes uh, the, the solution is simple. There are people who are dying every day. What is God going to do about it? What are we going to do, do about it? What should we do about it? The reality is it's pretty simple. We just need more faith. We just need more faith. We just need more healing. Today we're going to see uh, Peter. We haven't seen Peter for a few chapters. We've been talking about Saul, whose name well, from this point forward we'll be reading as Paul. Uh, but Peter, the last time we saw Peter, he was moving through the community. God was working in his life and working through him. And literally when he would walk by a paralyzed man or when he would walk by someone lying in the street, when his shadow would cast on him, the person that he walked by would be healed. The last time that we saw Peter, someone came and asked him. Simon the sorcerer came and he asked him, can I give you money for this power of healing? And he condemned him. He said, how dare you come into God's uh, throne room and, and offer him money for the sake of healing and so you need to repent of that and if you have more faith in God then you too can be healed and so this morning let's talk about what we need in our country what we need in our church we need more faith we need more healing and the bottom line is this the truth is simple the truth is simple so if you've gotten your Bibles out if you're Acts chapter 9 uh, if you're looking at on an online device using uh, version or something like that. I'm um, in the New International Version. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 32, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. The truth is simple. 
As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Circle the words, get up, mark them for yourselves, and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now we're going to go to the next city. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, which is just kind of a funny name, particularly if you're in middle school. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. So Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying. They showed him the robes. They showed him the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still alive and with them. So Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Circle that. Mark that in your Bibles, the word get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand. He helped her to the feet to her feet. Then he called for the other believers, especially the widows, and he presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. The truth is simple. We need more faith in order to see more healing. What he says to her is he tells her to get up. What he says to Aeneas, he tells her to get up. Have faith that God is going to heal you. Get up. Don't lie down. Don't be defeated. Get up in Jesus' name. Get up and get better. Is it really this simple? Some of you this morning, as I am sharing these points, as I'm walking through this text, there's something that just doesn't taste right about that. You see, when I was looking at this passage this week, the idea of just get up and get better, struggling with this passage this week, Because for me, for my family, I look at this passage and I see great healing. And that is not exactly what has been my experience in my life. And maybe it hasn't been your experience in your life either. Drink water, it'll fix everything. Get up and get better is a pretty simple explanation to this. So I didn't really want to dig into this passage, to be honest with you. Because 10 years ago, I wear on my... Uh, on my wrist, a bracelet that says Josiah Nathaniel. That's my son who died 10 years ago. It used to be a, a red wristband. Now it's, it's pink. And I don't know of anything else that I spent $1 on 10 years ago that's still with me. But that's one of them. But the reality is, is 10 years ago, January 2010, our son who was born with a very complicated heart condition... Our church had a church-wide prayer and fasting for the new year of what would God do in the new year. 21-day fast, and we decided as a family that we were also going to pray and fast. And the decision that we were trying to decide at was that our son had this rare heart condition where he was only born with three chambers in his heart. He had received a number of surgeries, but the reality was uh, that the long-term prognosis was still not good. And so we were praying through a decision to move from Charleston, South Carolina, to St. Louis, 
Missouri, because in St. Louis, that's a city that is central to the United States, and if there was ever going to be a chance for us to have a heart and lung transplant, because that's what it would require, being central into the United States so that if a donor became available, you need to read that and understand that we're talking about a baby, so that means that a baby passes away somewhere in the continental United States. You need to be central so that you can receive the organs from that child uh, so that your baby has a chance to live. That was the decision that we were praying through. And many of the people in our church, many of the people in my family even, were, were talking to us and saying, well, we're going to spend these 21 days praying that there is a total healing in your son, that he gets up, he gets better, and all of this will be over. The last 10 months is something that you will not have to worry about anymore, that God will heal him. Uh, my wife and I, we were praying through just saying, God, do you want us to move uh, to St. Louis and see what would happen in regards to getting a transplant? 19 days into a 21 day 21 days of prayer and fasting where we were only eating one meal a day for 21 days and spending the rest of the time uh, in prayer, uh, our son passed away 19 days into that process. So how am I supposed to reconcile with the idea that if you pray, that God will heal? If you have more faith, God will heal. This idea of get up, get better, get over it, is really unhealthy. The reality is this. The truth is simple, but here's the next point. The truth is not simplistic. The truth is simple, but the truth is not simplistic. The idea that if you had more faith, if, if God helps those who help themselves, or God heals those who would heal themselves, that's awful simple, friends. And the truth is simple, but the truth is not simplistic. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look here, simplistic faith is a immature faith. Later, the Apostle Peter will write in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, like, new in, in, excuse me, like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk that, that you may grow up into salvation. So there's a, a growing up that happens as being a spiritual infant. It is not as so, so simple that you can always drink milk and sustain yourself. Paul, he likewise tells the church in Corinth, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I started by feeding with you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. But even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And then later he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he is talking about the elders, the leaders of the church. What is their role? Their role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, so that we would attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to do what? To mature in manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed, and fro by, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, grow up into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body to grow so that itself is built up in love. The truth is simple, but the truth is not simplistic. The truth is Jesus Christ. It is a simplistic and immature faith to assume that every time that we pray that God heals the way that we want him to. The reality is that the truth is simple. The truth is not simplistic, however, because why? Because Jesus Christ is the way, 
the what? The truth <coughs> and the life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus Christ is not simple. Jesus Christ is not simplistic. Jesus Christ through the power of God, will heal us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the great comforter. He is the great physician. The truth is simple, but it is not simplistic. So let's look actually where the healing begins. Let's look actually at where the healing begins. And friends, here's the secret. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So turn your Bibles back. John chapter 3. I want you to see this. John chapter 3. Because what's actually happening here in the book of Acts, when we read this story about Peter, and we're not so focused in with such a narrow focus of this one passage, there's something much larger that is going on here. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is actually showing us how the gospel is rippling out in a demonstration of the way that Jesus Christ and his ministry rippled out. He is showing us the comparisons of the beauty of Jesus Christ and the mystery and the glory of God. John chapter 3, look at verse 5 and 6. Excuse me, it's John chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. They were lying there at the, at the gate. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who, there, who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. If you remember the passage we just read in the book of Acts, it was given very specifically that he was there for eight years. Watch this. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, would you want to get well? Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I try to get in, someone gets down ahead in front of me. And then he says to him this. Look what he says. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Peter is quoting Jesus Christ. Peter is, is demonstrating the power of Jesus Christ. Peter and Luke, as he writes down these words, is helping us understand the bigger picture that is being told. This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. Watch, it's all about Jesus. Turn over a couple more pages. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except for who? Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. These were professional mourners. He went in and he said to them, Why are you making all this commotion? Why are you wailing? This child is not dead, but he is asleep. And they all did what? They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and his mothers and disciples who were there with him. Peter was one of them. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kuum, which means little girl, I tell you. He tells her what? Get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. What were the words that he used? Talitha kuum, Jesus said. What was, the, what was the name of Dorcas? What was the name that, that, that Luke writes down? It says Tabitha or Tabitha. The names are similar. There's this parallel that's being said. Look, look at how Peter is walking and how the gospel is rolling out in a very similar fashion to the way that Jesus taught. Because the reality is, is this is where it all turns around. 
This is where it all turns around. What do I mean by that? If you remember the, the, the greater story that is happening in the Bible, if you go from Genesis to Revelation, if you look at the big picture of what's happening, do you remember uh, a couple of years ago we did a sermon series called The Long Story Short, and there was uh, multiple segments of that. The, the beginning of The Long Story Short was this. How did it all begin? And we talked about creation, how it all began and how God started everything. And then we talked about how it all went wrong and how we see in Genesis 3 sin in the Garden of Eden and how sin has, has, has ruined us and how we chase after things and how Israel uh, chased after a king because they thought that that would fix it. But sin was still there. They were not fixing the problem. They were not giving it all over to God. Then we come to the New Testament and this is where it all turns around. This is where the story changes and the story pivots. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of history is centered on who? On Jesus. This is where it all turns around. And then we get to the book of Revelation and we're reminded this will never end. This is how it will never end. This Jesus is where it all turns around. And when we look at this issue of healing, healing in our nation, healing in your family, healing uh, of physical ailments, healing of spiritual ailments, you need to, to look at this and ask yourself this question. Is your view of God too small? Is your view of God too small and therefore your view of man too large? What do I mean by that? Is your view of God so small that you assume that God cannot act or will not act or will not perform unless man has told him what to do. Meaning that if, if man would just give the right formula, pray the right prayer, then God will respond and bow to man because God needs to do what man tells him to do. Or, or, or is it that, that man, uh, as, as we go through life, when we struggle through the difficult things in life, that we just have to buck up, that we got to be stronger, that we've got to get up, we've got to get moving, that we have to get better in order to deal with these things so that God will act on our behalf. That's an awful large view of our responsibility, friends. It's a large view of thinking that we have more control than we actually have. The chief end of man is that we would know God and make Him known. It's not about you. Is your view of God too small? The reality is, is there are many times in Scripture, we, we actually, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's even additional stories that are very, very similar to what we see here foreshadowing Jesus. Both Elijah the prophet and then his mentee, uh, Elisha the prophet, they both have very similar stories of raising a child from the dead where they lay hands on it and they tell them the same thing, to get up, rise up, and be healed. But it's always showing us, always pointing us, to Jesus. Those situations, they were both miraculously healed and God moved, but it was always to show the beauty and the glory and the greatness of God. And then those examples, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Elijah and Elisha are always pointing back that there is a Messiah who is to come. This is where it all turns around. Let's come back to the point I made earlier when it comes to the truth is simple. The truth is not simplistic. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Turn over to John 14. John 14. Many of you are familiar with this passage where this statement comes from. But do not let your heart be troubled. There's a lot of things in life right now for us to be troubled about, friends. It's a difficult time. 
Uh, many of you are just, just working through the difficulties of coming to church on a Sunday. Some of you are working through the difficulties of trying to watch online on a Sunday. Some of you are in the room here this morning because you're tired of working through the difficulties of trying to watch online on a Sunday. That's the, that's the little stuff. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The bigger picture is that he's got something bigger in mind than what we're dealing with right now. When I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back. I will take you there with me that you may be where I am. You will know the way and you will know the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, and any one of us would say to him, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am the way. The way to heaven is not a religious system or a set of spiritual teachings to follow. They can't be because you are more sincere than the person next to you, uh, that your efforts are stronger. No, he said, the way is me. The way is Jesus. You know the way where I'm going because it's me. I am the way. I am the truth. He means trust me in this. Count on what I'm saying to you. I'm about to pay for your forgiveness with my blood. I'm about to pay for spiritual healing in your life with my life. I cannot love you more than I do. What I'm about to do on the cross is all that you need in order to build this bridge. You cross it believing in me, trusting in me, and trusting what I'll do. It's all you need in order to be right with the Holy God. I'm not giving you the truth. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth. I am the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You can trust me. And then he says, I am the life. He means there's this kind of life, not only the life that you're living right now is a shadow of what I have created to be. When, when I talk about life, I'm talking about something eternal, something significant. Life here is like an, like an echo, and at best it's a reflection of the fading away of what is the real thing that is to come. The life that I give is abundant. It's eternal. This is where I tie in my drinking water every day. <laughs> it's living water. And you will never thirst again and outlast the few years that we have here, whether it's one year, ten years, one hundred years. Scripture tells us it all goes a bit away like a twinkling of the eye. Now Jesus could have stopped there. He could have stopped there. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. But he doesn't. He goes further. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He pins us there. He says there is no other way. He ups the ante. And there's some things about this assertion that might really bug you. If you're watching online this morning, you're just checking us out, wondering what's going on. When I make that statement, that might make you uncomfortable. You say, you're telling me this is the only way, this is the only option. Wouldn't God be great enough, big enough to make multiple access points into heaven, multiple on-ramps? And the answer is no. It's Jesus. And you may find that to be disturbing you may find that to be confusing, but I actually want to say it's one of the most wonderful realities that we have in Scripture. It's wonderful because it's clear. If you were to go over to the airport and you say, I want to go to Orlando, Florida. Right now, I wouldn't go to Orlando, Florida. Maybe you should go somewhere else. I don't know why you want, why do you want to go to Orlando? I don't know why you go to Orlando. And you go into the airport and you just wander around the airport and, and you say... It, you just walk through and say, I'll just pick a plane, and, and hopefully I'll end up in Orlando. 
I'm looking at George. He, he's worked in the, <laughs> that industry for a long time. Oh, that's not going to work. No, it's not going to work. Because you actually need a clear path to get to your destination. You want to pick a, a flight, flight 2024 or whatever it is. You want to be able to pick that flight because you know where it's going. You know when it's going to land and how it's going to get there. Why would you do that if you're going to Florida and not be concerned about what your eternal security looks like and the path by which you would get there? It's wonderful because it's clear. It's wonderful because it actually works. Jesus' promise are true. He delivers. He will bring you into relationship with himself. He gives you what you most want, freedom from sin, and have a real purpose here in this life. It's wonderful because it's available to everyone. Romans 10, 13 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friends, as the title of this sermon says, this is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. It's all in Jesus. And there have been times. There have been times when I've been called to somebody's hospital room. They are sick. As many pastors all over this country have done multiple times now, sometimes through Zoom calls, sometimes through phone calls, through text messages. Someone is sick. Someone is hurting, and the question says, will I get better? Will God heal me? It's not a great position to be in as a pastor, I'll tell you. But the answer that I can give always for someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is yes. Yes, he will. Our God is the great healer. I believe that he is my healer. I believe he is your healer and it's all going to happen in his time because healing is not necessarily going to happen here on this earth. We serve a God who makes all things right. We serve a God who makes all things new. In this situation that we see with the Apostle Peter as he is walking through uh, the city, as he has this wonderful opportunity to be able to heal a paralyzed man, as he has this wonderful opportunity to, to raise up Dorcas and bring her out to continue to do ministry, he writes later in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24 says this. And he's talking, he's looking back again at Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's our God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By what? By his wounds you have been healed. Healed. So this morning, if we really want to talk about where the healing begins, we make these three statements to be able to finish our time this morning. By his wounds, you are heard. You are heard. Some of you are going through tremendous pain and suffering right now. Some of you are walking through maybe what my wife and I walked through 10 years ago when there's someone that you love dearly that may not live through the next day. Uh, something very difficult going on in your life. I know in our church there's multiple people who are out of, out of work right now. It is a difficult season uh, asking for healing, asking for God to repair those things. All we want to know, and, and, and we see the same thing all the way through the book of Psalms that, 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 that David just keeps writing over and over again. God, I'm crying out for help. Do you hear me? Yes. Yes. By his wounds you are heard. By his wounds you are held. Scripture teaches us that he, he puts his arms around us. 
He comforts us and He does so in many tangible ways. He holds us close while you are going through the painful thing that you are going through, while you are suffering the sickness that you are suffering, when you are dealing with the grief that you are dealing with, that He will wrap His loving arms around you as the great comforter. But ultimately, friends, it's through His wounds. Not only are you heard, not only are you held, you are healed. 